If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blah So yeah, they say, okay, 1,200 deaths. They don't mention that three quarters are people that had three or more serious comorbidities like cancer. All right, we've got John Carpe with us. He is the president and founder of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. And John, we we don't have too much time, but thank you so much for joining us. There's lots of legal stuff to talk about with with uh, what's happening in the last you know nine months or a year. Uh, we've kind of approached it. We've we've talked to some people in the states about it already. Um, Dr. Pam Popper, who is helping out with some Ohio lawsuits, so I think there's going to be some similarities there. But thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. Yeah, thanks, and it's great you're you know you're uh, fighting for our, our rights in Calgary and and in Canada. So I mean, uh, there's so much to talk about with the current events, and we don't have too much time. But maybe just a quick two minute thing about what you do there at the Justice Center. Uh, sure. To help you help so many people here in in Canada. And thank you. Start with thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, the Justice Center uh, recently celebrated celebrated its uh, 10th anniversary. So we were started up in uh, 2010. We are a public interest law firm. We have staff lawyers in British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba, Ontario. Uh, We just hired our eighth staff lawyer and we're looking to hire one or two more uh, as as soon as possible. We are funded 100% by voluntary donations from Canadians. Wow. And uh, we are a registered charity. We issue official tax receipts. And what we do is we sue governments and governmental authorities. And our focus is on the fundamental charter freedoms of religion, conscience, expression, peaceful assembly, freedom of association. Uh, We've also taken on parental rights cases that are also protected by the charter uh, which guarantees the right to life, liberty, and security of the person, and security of the person includes parental rights. Uh, we also get involved in some human rights cases. Uh, there's a transgender activist by the name of uh, Jessica Jonathan Yaniv in British Columbia who had filed uh, complaints against women for refusing to... Uh, provide a Brazilian bikini wax and uh, wax any of male parts. And uh, so we defended the women against these uh, human rights complaints and we were successful. Uh, We're now defending galaxy beauty pageants in Ontario uh, against uh, a human rights complaint from Yaniv who wants access to the uh, women's only locker rooms and change rooms. So some of our cases are uh, human rights cases like that. Um, and we are, uh, we've now sued, um, Alberta, Manitoba and British Columbia to end the lockdowns in those three provinces. 
And uh, within the next week or two, by the end of January, we will have filed a statement of claim against Saskatchewan as well. Wow. And, and our, our argument is basically that the lockdowns are not justified violations of our charter freedoms to move, travel, associate, assemble, worship, uh, have Christmas dinner with your mother, your grandmother. Uh, you know, total, we're, we're into a police state right now. It's been 10 months, and uh, it, there's a very serious danger that this is going to be a permanent police state where the medical officers make up the law on a day-to-day basis, on a week-to-week basis, uh, as they go along. So, um, without, without looking at both sides of the evidence, I mean, I want to point people to your website where you have podcasts on there and your last podcast, which happens to be what you guys call the episode one of season two. It seems to be like you must've started like a few months before this whole thing went down. You must've been thinking, Oh my God, we're talking about this crazy stuff now. But, uh, People can go there and you do a great summary of, of why this is so important and why why they, they can't be doing that. You know, they can't be just looking at one side of the science and following the media fear without, you know, giving it due process, right? Exactly. And they're they're actually required by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, or the Charter for short. Whenever a government, whether it's federal, provincial, municipal, or whether it's a government body like the College of Physicians and Surgeons or the Law Society, or whether it's exercising public authority like a university, whenever government violates our rights and freedoms, the government has to demonstrate that the good that is coming out of that law is greater than the harm. And, you know, when when they introduced lockdowns 10 months ago, I wasn't protesting against it. I thought, well, you know, we've got this unusually deadly killer. It's going to kill millions of people. So the chief medical officer says we need a temporary restrictions to flatten the curve. So we'll close our schools. And but it gradually with time, I mean, in, in April, I sent a letter to uh, to Dina Hinshaw in Alberta and to 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 every chief medical officer. And I just asked the questions, what's going to be the impact of lockdowns on increasing suicides? What about the impact on canceling surgeries? How many people are going to die um, because their surgery got canceled or because they couldn't get a cancer diagnosis because their MRI appointment or CT scan appointment was canceled? What about the impact on mental health? What about the impact on children that, that can't go swimming, martial arts, play in the p- playground? I mean, children have been pushed into a state of physical inactivity and just spending their entire days in front of the computer screen. And dehumanizing or, with the masks, too. I mean, that's got to have a psychological effect that is really hard to measure, probably. There's some, uh, I hadn't read it yet. I'm getting 100 emails a day, but there's some research emerging now about how the mask wearing is harming children. And uh, there's also the scientific evidence that children are not spreaders of COVID-19, nor are they at risk of of harm. So the whole forcing kids to wear masks in schools has no scientific basis, and it's not saving any lives. And the governments are telling us that we should treat ourselves and treat each other uh, like we are vile, disease-bearing creatures that, you know, we should kind of be disgusted 
by ourselves and by each other and do this social distancing and mask wearing, whereas the, uh, the scientific evidence is that asymptomatic individuals, so in other words, if you don't feel sick, you don't have the sore throat, shortness of breath, etc., if you're asymptomatic, uh, the chance of you spreading COVID to other people is very low. Uh, it's not 100% non-existent. Uh, but the medical ev- experts are uh, more and more coming out with the evidence that asymptomatic people uh, do not need to wear masks or social distance or anything else. Uh, so the lockdowns don't have a scientific foundation. And this is why it's so important what you're doing, because there hasn't been a sci- an adjustment based on the science. I mean, when they started in March and I heard learned about the PCR test and I heard about it, I thought that must be just a temporary thing. They'll figure it out. They'll be using proper testing. And then nine months later, they're still doing it. They're still basing this fear and all these uh, lockdowns on the bogus PCR test. And then and then they haven't adjusted anything like the science you're talking about. There's been no no effort to be transparent with the data or to, I mean, some of the official data you can use against them for sure, but transparency and where that data comes from, whether it's the death counts or whether it's the, you know, the percentage of positive cases and, and then there's no adjustment. So I think no it's really, where, where did you, what did you get re- uh, responses to those letters? No. Well, yes, yes, yes. I got, I got token responses like, uh, Dear Mr. Carpe, uh, thank you for writing us to express your concerns about COVID-19. The government's doing everything it can to save lives, uh, yours truly, and then, you know, signed by uh, a health minister. And so so those those letters are on our website at uh, www.jccf.ca. So you you can read the letter. It's the same letter sent to the uh, provincial and federal territorial chief medical officers. And so I asked about a dozen questions, uh, you know, about suicides and mental health and anxiety and depression and canceled surgery, Uh, even canceled surgery. I sent a separate letter in September asking what uh, are you following up in Alberta on the 22,000 canceled? How many of these people have died because their surgery was canceled? Well, the silence is deafening. They're not following up. So this makes me very worried because they have an obligation under the charter to fully explore in a, you know, non-biased, non-partisan, objective, transparent, transparent, truth-seeking manner. They need to explore all of the lockdown harms. And if the governments were actually doing that and saying, look, you know, we are tracking deaths from canceled surgery. We are tracking uh, delayed cancer diagnosis. We are looking at mental health and not just making a statement during a news conference by saying, oh, we know this is really hard on people. Yeah. Well, okay, well, that's a good starting point, but that's worthless if you're not actually exploring those those harms. And I would have more confidence in the governments if they were doing that homework and and being transparent and putting the results out there that, you know, yes, we are tracking the lockdown harms. I would probably just relax and kind of go, okay, you know, there, but no, there's a narrative there that COVID is so bad and so deadly yeah. that no matter how much harm yeah. we inflict on people, it doesn't matter. COVID is so deadly. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which just by going with their own stats, Alberta is actually very good with their own stats. You can see the comorbidities, you can see the percentages, you can see how many people that are supposedly healthy. Now the missing piece of that. 
sorry to, I'm just getting ahead of myself. You can see how many people are supposedly healthy that have passed away. And it's a very small percentage, like 3%, I think of the two and a half percent. Two and a half percent. Yeah. Now, but what you don't know, because they've come out and said it officially, and this is what I'm interested in is when can you start using their own statements and, and uh, their own policies against them? Like the way they said, we're counting people who died from and with COVID and within a 28-day period, I think that's Canada, but I know the States is doing that as well, the 28-day period. But how come people aren't up in arms about the way they're changing how they count deaths all of a sudden? You can't just all of a sudden say you died of something else, but you had COVID, and that's part of the fear stat. Like, when do we get to use that against them? Well, it's a, it's a vicious cycle, right? Because the, the fear generates support for lockdowns and then the support for lockdowns generates fear the great thing about the court actions is you know e even if we lose and and there's a chance of that i don't make any predictions for the first time in 10 months the governments of british columbia alberta saskatchewan and manitoba and eventually we'll be suing ontario as well uh those governments will have to put forward evidence and they'll have to answer questions dina hinshaw is going to have to sit down on a chair and answer questions under oath about all of her policies and all of her lockdown harms and all of the damage that's been inflicted. She's going to have to answer questions about why they're using the, the PCR tests that have false positive rates as high as 90%, which are irrelevant. She's going to have to answer even the chart. You know, uh, they came out with this fear-mongering chart in April. It's still, last time I checked, it was still on the Alberta Health Services website. Uh, if you Google Alberta Health Services uh, April 8th modeling, and they say there that even with lockdown measures, they've got, they've got this modeling document. It's about 10 or 15 pages. Um, even with lockdown measures, as many as 32,000 Albertans could die of COVID. This is the fear-mongering that they engaged in in April. And I asked, what is the basis for your April 8th modeling? What is the science? What is the documents? What are your assumptions? What's the background? How did you come up with these numbers? No answer. Oh, it's, it's infuriating. Darren, did you have a question before I <laughs> railroad this whole thing? Well, I'm just wondering what the, if like, it seems to me anyway, and I know you don't make predictions, but to me, it seems pretty black and white. And, and if for them to have to prove it seems impossible, especially just with their own numbers, with their own numbers, it seems impossible. And people say, well, you know, the flu, this and the flu, that, okay, well, you got to take in the flu and dementia and all the other comorbidities and add them up and do some weird stats that are pretty well impossible to do to me anyway. And I'm just wondering if, so if you guys are able to do this, A, what's the timeline and what does that sort of look like as it plays out over the next while? And B, what's the precedent now for my buddy's restaurant? Once, once there's a precedent in court that the government shut him down for no good reason, does that open up the floodgates for a bunch of class action lawsuits? Okay. Well, the good news is that, uh, you know, the, the court actions have been filed, uh, three down, at least two more to go. And so the process is starting and uh, the governments will have to gather together evidence, including evidence to try to show that lockdowns work, which I think is a very hard case to prove uh, because 
one of the most informative charts I saw on that point was uh, a chart with different countries. And on the sidebar, it was severity of lockdowns, right? From, you know, total extreme lockdowns with uh, 101 restrictions down to no lockdowns at all. And the other line was the death rate per 100,000. Yeah. And the dots were all over. Yeah. You know, so you had places with severe lockdowns that had high death rates, medium death rates, low death rates. You had places with no lockdowns and minimal lockdowns that had high death rates, medium death rates, low death rates. Yeah. Uh, New York and Florida are good examples. They have roughly similar populations, uh, but Florida has tended, they had some lockdowns for a while, but Florida has been pretty free. New York has been very locked down. New York has far higher death rates than Florida. Now, on the other side, they can say, oh, okay, but, you know, uh, uh, my my member of the Legislative Assembly uh, said, oh, but Al- Sweden's got 12 times as high of a death rate as, as Alberta. So Sweden had no lockdowns. Alberta had lockdowns, therefore. But that's not conclusive at all. Uh, so to prove that lockdowns work is a difficult case to make, and a lot of that will hinge on uh, the evidence about asymptomatic spread. You know, are people without symptoms spreading the virus, yes or no? But I want to get back to your question, sorry, because I mean, we've got so no, much no, content. That's good, yeah. So um, the bad news is court actions always take three, four, five years, uh, which is a, an injustice. It's a crying shame, and it's, you know, we'd have to have a separate episode just on... on uh, on, on the injustice of the court system because too few judges are appointed and things move too slowly. Uh, if there's one area where I think government should increase spending, it should be to appoint a whole bunch more judges and, and have a whole bunch more courtrooms. And, you know, litigation should take a few months. It should not take years. But that's a whole other topic. So the sad reality is by the time we get a ruling on these court actions, we could be looking at three, four years down the road. However, um, there is a window of opportunity to make an interim injunction and say, look, uh, we want an interim ruling pending the filing, uh, pending the final ruling. So that's an option. Um, but th- you know what? The, where the rubber hits the road is that right now, the single most important thing that people need to do is educate themselves, educate their neighbors, their family members, and shift public opinion. Uh, I heard a poll saying that 88% of people are in favor of lockdowns. I, I hope that's inaccurate. But if that's true, uh, the elected politicians are going to listen to the 88%. They're not going to listen to the 12%. Yeah. So the court actions are important. And, of course, you know, I invite people that are interested, you know, please donate to the Justice Center so we can keep on hiring more lawyers, take on more court actions. But the short-term thing has got to be to change public opinion. Yeah. Yeah, which that'll help. Some of those court things will help once they get out. I mean, it seems to be a little more substantial than people like us doing these shows and showing the science because there is science. I mean, even the who came out and said lockdowns aren't going to help. Don't don't or don't do lockdowns. They're they're bad. So it seems to me like all they do is cherry pick what official advice they want to fit their narrative, whether it's the CDC stats or the who saying this or that or. Or even Fauci at some point. Or even point. the National Post and their 89% of Canadians agree with this lockdown bullshit. Because I'll tell you what they're doing is they're put. The, so now they've got a section of a section of a section of the people that 
you know, because we've already entered this weird thing where the media is no longer unbiased and it's become super, super clear. Even, you know, there's not too many people I know, and I know I'm from Alberta and we're pretty, you know, I guess conservative as it is. I don't see that in my day to day because I know a ton of people that aren't, but even they can start to see this giant bias in the media. And I think it's, um, I don't, it's like, I think they uh, just so don't the people know what that to are do re- they're it. only talking about and it's like a CNN poll. Well, that's people that are watching CNN, which are like a subset of a subset of a subset. So not only that, it's not only is it the people that are only reading the National Post, it's the only the people that are reading the National Post that are actually going to answer their poll, which are probably the people that are, you know, scared of COVID. And I think well, because whenever they do an online poll, it lasts like a week and a half and they take it down. It, they, it always gets taken down because it starts spiraling out of control in the wrong direction. <laughs> I, think the, uh, I think the media are incredibly biased uh, when one of the things a good journalist is, is supposed to do is provide relevant context. So, you know, here, here's just a short list of a few examples of things that, that the media don't mention. You know, they'll, they'll talk about, well, let's, let's go with Alberta, but this would be true in every province, right? So the, the media headline screams, uh, 10 people have died of COVID in the last week. Okay, 490 other people have died. It's actually normal in Alberta, sad, but normal. It's sad that we all die. And, and uh, you know, most people, by the time you're, 20, 30, 40 years old, you've, you've probably experienced one or more deaths of, of uh, friends or family members, right? It's, it's tragic. The sad reality is uh, 500 people die in Alberta every week, over 2,000 per month, over 27,000 per year. So when, but the, you know, when the media tell you over, over 1,200 Albertans have died of COVID, okay, uh, that's in the context of 27,000 deaths. 10 people died in the past week, yes, in the context of 500 deaths. Then they talk about, you know, 1,000 new cases. Well, 970 of those 1,000 are healthy people or people that are perhaps mildly ill. 30 out of the 1,000 are sick enough to require hospitalization. Then they talk about COVID deaths. Uh, Sure, Alberta Health Services does have the... um, The comorbidities up there, yeah. Yeah. They have the comorbidities and the age breakdown. So, yeah, they say, okay, 1,200 deaths. Uh, They don't mention that three quarters are people that had three or more mm. serious comorbidities like cancer, emphysema, heart disease, liver heart disease, kidney disease. Um, like these are, uh, that doesn't make the death any less sad, but it is relevant. You know, if there is a virus like the Spanish flu to which Jason Kenney has actually compared COVID to the Spanish flu of 1918 to 1920 publicly on several occasions, well, the Spanish flu killed millions of people around the world, millions, 20 to 100 million is what historians tell us, at a time when the world population was only 2 billion. So it was barely a quarter of the world's population today. That was a real pandemic. A hundred years later, COVID is, is nothing compared to the Spanish flu. And COVID is nothing compared to no, it's not nothing. COVID is comparable to uh, the Asian flu of 1957 and the Hong Kong flu of 1968. So every few decades, you get uh, you get a flu that is you know worse than in previous years. But are we talking about something that is radically different in terms of the death stats? The government data tells us that the death stats on COVID are not markedly different 
than the death stats on the annual flu, especially when you consider all the reporting changes. When you've had public health officials in Italy and the United States have stated publicly that anybody that's got COVID in their body at time of death is being listed as a COVID yeah, death. Yeah. And they're actually and sending like, out letters in Alberta. Like I know two people that got whose family members got letters when I think they both had one might even been a car accident. Don't quote me on that. They might have both been heart attacks. But one was for sure just a massive heart attack from a guy that was like, you know, unfortunately probably geared towards having a heart attack. And, you know, nobody nobody in the family thought that it had anything to do with COVID. And, and to be clear, I'm not even sure that they tested him. But they yeah. still, it, it was still down as COVID. Uh, this is happening a lot. I yeah. hear all the time from people. Um, there's one case, very tragic case in Alberta, where a heart attack was entirely preventable. Uh, Jerry Dunham was 46 years old. He died two weeks before Father's Day. He died in Medicine Hat in uh, June of 2020. And his heart was functioning at 25% capacity. He needed a pacemaker. And uh, he was scheduled to get pacemaker surgery. And then Dina Hinshaw and Jason Kenney said, nope, your pacemaker surgery is non-essential. Didn't get a surgery. And he died of a heart attack. Yeah. Completely preventable. After he died, um, the mother of his children, I won't say the wife, they were separated, uh, but... Uh, the, the the mother of his children was asked by hospital staff, well, should we put this down as a COVID death? Yeah. The fact that staff are even asking that question, yeah. there's a whole mindset yeah. there to record as many COVID deaths as yeah. possible. But I would say, I would say this though, even if the government data was trustworthy on COVID deaths, this is not the bubonic plague. It's not Ebola. No, exactly. It's not the Spanish flu. Even exactly. even taking the government numbers at, at face That's value. That's exactly my point. They're overinflated, and there's still not enough for what's going on, even at that overinflated amount. I mean, you talked in, in your last podcast about Will. Hey, we didn't we didn't answer the precedent question, though. The precedent question? Okay, okay. The precedent. Uh, uh, if that, oh, yeah, if yeah. the government losing in court opens up a, pre a, a precedent because I know you guys aren't seeking any money. You don't care about money. You just want to say, just tell us it's bullshit. Yes. Pardon my uh, language. That's, that's <laughs> a, no, but that, that's pretty much, uh, that is a, an accurate summary. We're going into court to get a declaration that this is an unjustified violation of our charter freedoms and that the government has not proven that the virus is, this unusually deadly killer, which they've been telling us for, for the past 10 months. They haven't proven that. They haven't proven that lockdowns are effective to stop this allegedly super deadly killer. And they haven't proven that the benefits outweigh the harms. And so what we're looking for is a court declaration. The problem with a class action suit is like we're already bankrupting ourselves with hundreds of billions of dollars of new debt uh, yep. we could have protected all the nursing homes for yeah, a fraction. Exactly. That's fraction exactly what we've that been amount. saying. Exactly. Well, I was even just looking at what just the Alberta, I think it's just the Alberta government, what just the Alberta government spent on small business subsidies, which I think was $20,000 per business, which will barely cover the rent if they're lucky. But that aside, I think it amounted to a billion dollars because they're worried yeah. about the hospitals. Okay, and I know there's a doctor Which are problem. always overcrowded, by the way. This is another, you know, there's no context, okay? Yeah. I believe it's true 
that that some of the not not everywhere in Alberta, but in, in Calgary, the ICU units are overcrowded. I've heard this from uh, one one from two different medical doctors have said the ICUs are swamped. However, what the media should report if they want to do their job and provide context is that hospitals are always overcrowded and the ICU spaces are always are very often used up. And politicians have had decades to try to, uh, yeah. they've had decades of opportunity to improve the healthcare system. They failed to do that. And now they're trying to lay a guilt trip on people for getting together with friends and celebrating Christmas and singing in church when it's the politicians who, in the last 50 years, uh, have not changed the healthcare system to improve capacity. And there's massive amounts of data on this that Canada spends more per person than just about any other country in the world. But when it comes to outcomes like number of doctors per capita, number of nurses per capita, number of hospital beds per capita, number of ICU spaces per capita, number of CT scanners, number of MRI machines, on all these outcomes, Canada comes in, you know, 21st, 7th, 13th, yeah. 8th, 15th. So we're Child getting horrible right value for money. Infant mortality's right there. We're like, I think, 34th or something. You know, it's, I mean, hey, we're, we're doing great compared to third world countries, but if you compare Canadian healthcare to uh, the French, British, Italian, Japanese, Australian, New Zealand healthcare systems, we're getting very poor outcomes Value in relation to the money, to money yeah. that we're putting yeah. in. Yeah. So, but even that, like for a billion dollars, you'd think you could have ramped up something like you know, get the family doctors into some sort of temporary ICU or something. You spent a couple billion dollars. Like, I feel like you could have got creative with that other than paying everybody to stay home. Uh, it's it's horrible public policy. You know, we cannot live, you know, you, you can run a one-time deficit. Okay, fine. But you, you can't do this on a permanent basis and not produce wealth and just keep on borrowing hundreds of billions of dollars, what it will lead to is um, sooner or later, uh, I won't predict how many months or how many years, but sooner or later, there's going to be massive cuts to healthcare because the government's bankrupt. And then people are going to be marching in the streets complaining about that, to which I'll say, well, uh, you should have been marching in the streets against the lockdowns because yeah. it's because of the lockdowns that we're bankrupting yeah. the country. Well, that's what my fear is, is and that's what I've been saying to guys is that my concern is that the the government is going to get found liable in some areas and that there are going to be a bunch of lawsuits and that we're going to turn into a banana republic or something worse because we're going to lose, start losing health care and these other things that we take for granted completely because we've let these people sort of empty the piggy bank on 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 crap when we're already sort of in a state of decline. Well, this is one of the reasons I'm a little bit skeptical about, you know, class action for monetary damages. Uh, you know, I mean, if some people want to try that, they, they, you know, go ahead. But it's here, here's the thing: you have to prove uh, you have to prove your damages. That'll be easy for some uh, businesses. They they've got their you know uh, financial statements, and they can say until lockdowns were imposed, you know we were we were earning a profit of, of fifty thousand dollars a year or five million dollars per year. The businesses can prove their losses, but for individuals, how do you how do you quantify the loss of uh, say a child who was a happy, healthy, well-adjusted child who yeah. enjoyed playing with her or his or her friends, uh, who was you know doing martial arts classes, who was socializing. 
And after 10 months of lockdowns, after 10 months of being, you know, told that, that, that life is very dangerous and that they could be killing grandma and yeah, that, yeah. you know, they should be, they should be in fear and they, they should be ashamed of themselves as, as these vile disease spreading beings, you know, how do you quantify mental health? And th- th- those damages are going to be very hard to prove. But then the other practical problem is if you had a lawsuit like that, and if it was successful, and if a court were to award, uh, you know, a hundred billion dollars of, of uh, damages against the Alberta government or, or 50 billion or 20 billion, where's the government going to get that money? They're going to go have to borrow it. Right. So it, it, it's almost a bit, take the high road. Uh, well, I mean, can't we go you through know. the, can't you, can't we sue the like big pharma and the medical people? I mean, it, they're, they're ignoring all the evidence. And is this the willful blindness that yeah, you yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. in your last okay, episode? I really want to touch on a couple things and we're going to run out of time. Okay. Like a vaccine law in Alberta yeah, I know. and I what's going to happen there. Too, so. Because, I mean, I know a ton of people that are super concerned about that. And I want we've only got about 10 or 15 minutes left if we're lucky. And I want to talk about these fines and these threats against gathering. Because to me, that's the most important thing. Like, if that's something that we don't really have to be scared of, I think that's something that's super, super important to get out there. So, like, just using me as an example, family in over Christmas, uh, you know, maybe thinking about having a dinner a couple weeks down the road. What's if I, if the cops show up at my house, what do I do? How do I, a, how do you act in that situation? And then what's the next step and how much is it going to cost you? Excellent questions. Well, the bottom line right now is that police are handing out uh, $1,200 tickets. Uh, the justice centers representing a lot of Albertans, but also people in every province. We're representing people that have gotten their, $1,000, or $1,200 tickets for uh, violating public health orders. The The hope is that with these court actions, if we get our declaration uh, that the, uh, the lockdowns are an unjustified violation of our charter freedoms, if we get those declarations, they will apply to the tickets. I'm not quite sure on the timing, though, because the tickets will probably go to trial in, you know, eight months, 10 months, 12 months, uh, a year and two months. Um, Here's what I recommend. I mean, first of all, it's better to avoid these tickets by just taking some precautions and keep your your curtains closed. And uh, if you've got visitors, have them park a half block away and have them walk in through the back door and leave the back door unlocked so that somebody just walks right into your house without standing there and waiting, you know, after ringing the doorbell. There's some practical precautions that people can take when they're exercising their charter freedoms to <laughs> connect with yeah. friends. Yeah. Um, and then the way to deal with police is to just provide your name uh, and driver's license or photo ID uh, because they will arrest you if you refuse to provide your name. Uh, technically, one of my staff lawyers explained to me that that technically uh, you're not obligated to provide your name to police, but you know on a practical level because it's their standard practice to arrest people who do yeah. not provide yeah. their names. If you want to avoid arrest, yeah. then just uh, you know provide them with your name, receive the ticket. Uh, then what you do is you plead not guilty and keep a photocopy of the ticket yourself. Mail in the original with your not guilty plea. Then you're going to get a letter from the Crown Prosecutor's Office telling you that your trial date is 
you know, August the 24th, 2021 or December the 5th, 2021 or uh, January the 10th of 2022, you're going to get your trial date. The once you get that letter from the crown, then you take that crown letter plus your, um, uh, uh, the photocopy of the ticket and you submit it to the justice center. We'll do our best to represent as many people as possible. And, uh, so that's kind of the practical yeah. ABCs okay, for good. the tickets. Good. Is there any, so have any of these things started, started coming? Like, is there, are we seeing sort of the tail end of that process coming around, around yet? Like, is there any sort of tickets that are already sort of coming to court? Are we seeing in a, any sort of, sort of foreseeing on which way they're going to go? Or like, are the judges going to, you know? No trials yet. No trials okay. yet. We we should do this podcast again, because I got to leave in about five minutes. Okay. Yeah. But, but, um, the, uh, the vaccine thing, the vaccine thing. Okay. So the law, the public health act that was passed in 1984 said that the <laughs> chief medical officer, uh, chief medical officer can order vaccinations. Uh, I believe Jason Kenney has said he wants to remove that out of the public health act. Um, I'll believe it when I see it. And I say that very sincerely. I hope he'll uh, follow through. Um, Mandatory vaccinations are a serious threat to our fundamental freedoms. And, um, you know, the same rationale that we're now being told, you know, we have to wear masks or we have to social distance or we have to not, uh, you know, spend any time with our friends except by looking at a two-dimensional image on a screen, which I think everybody knows is not the same thing as meeting in person. It just isn't. Um, but the same rationale that, you know, well, come on, you got to give up your rights and freedoms for the common good because we're dealing with this unusually deadly killer and we have to save lives. Therefore, you have to wear a mask. That exact same logic, not a single change, uh, can be used to say, well, of course, you have to get your vaccine because it's not about you. It's about saving lives. We've got to stop this unusually deadly killer. And the interesting thing is that, and I need to research this a bit more, my initial research is that the vaccine companies themselves have said the vaccine can protect the individual receiving it, but it does not make you non-contagious. Yeah, yeah. So right, right off the bat, it's like, why, why, if that's true, you know, subject to verification and further research, if that's true, why mandatory vaccinations if it does not make you non-contagious, right? There's no... There's no rationale for any of this. There's no science behind an 8 p.m. curfew. The premier in Quebec was asked, what impact is this 8 p.m. curfew going to have on reducing the, the, the number of cases? Less people and gathering he, against the government. And he, <laughs> well, that's one outcome. And he said he didn't know. So they're even admitting, they don't, they don't even know if an 8 p.m. curfew, uh, right, which is a ludicrous, insane, and, and severe violation of your, your human right to just leave your own house when you feel like leaving your own, your own house. I mean, putting an entire population under house arrest, he doesn't even pretend that there's science behind this. I mean, that's, that's how much of a police state that we're living in right now. So God forbid if Dina decides, you know, everybody's getting a shot and it's mandatory and that's it, and Kenny just backs her up because he's being a prick too. Where can we go? Is there any province in Canada that's better, safer, has better laws against this sort of thing? Are all are they all? Is it just lockstep? 
What you about know, the Indian Reserve? Can I go back there? Good question. You know, if 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 there are uh, if any province passes mandatory vaccination laws, uh, you know, the Justice Center will be first out the gates to oppose okay. that. Good. And we're going to force the government to come up with the science in court. And we're going to, you know, they, they get away with murder at their news conferences where they've got cheerleading media that are basically egging them on to impose more lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, but in court, they're going to have to explain, for example, that that if receiving the vaccine does not make you non-contagious, right? So receiving the vaccine has no bearing on you spreading the disease to others. If that's true, then why do vaccines need to be forced in the first place, right? Things like that, the governments have to answer for in court. So people should hold off for as long as possible, you know, until it it really becomes like, if they they don't want to do it, until it becomes officially mandatory and you guys start stepping in and there becomes this court battle, hopefully we can hold off long enough for that if it actually comes to that, which I, which I think it's going to, I mean, they, they just want to get the jab in as many people as possible. They do, but there might be so many injuries before that, that they might not even get to that point. There might be too much backlash. I mean, there's already hesitancy has grown because people are like, why, why am I risking this? You know, why risk it? Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk more. I've got to, I've got to run off to a meeting, but, um, Let's uh, let's have another conversation. Yeah, we should for sure. Soon. Yeah, we'll okay. catch up. Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay, have a good ya. evening. Take care. Bye. Bye. Now it's a chat with uh, John Carpe. What do you think, buddy? Oh yeah, fantastic. So yeah, sorry everybody. We we had a power outage at like right like thanks to John for like sticking with us. We were hanging out in zoom with no power for like 20 minutes trying to figure shit out. And uh, we came back at like, we started a half hour late. Thanks to Darren for uh, somehow like getting, getting the power up. Like I can't extension cords from upstairs into power bars that he totally it just bypassed the whole light. system. He like. wanted me to change the light to the hundred watt light and it just fucking fried I didn't want to change it to the hundred watt. I never I said a hundred. I just said the real light that generates heat. I should have put in a 60. Yeah, I know. Why, why do you want it so bright in here? So now we got extension cords running all over the house. Uh, so anyways, uh, saved the show. yeah, thanks for John for uh, coming back on, even though we were kind of rushed. Cause I mean, man, that was a lot of data to get through a lot of stuff to get through. I mean, what I was going to ask was about the willful blindness for all the studies on vitamin D, vitamin C oh, yeah, no, I knew and vermesitin were... and all that. Like, why are they ignoring all that? I know, but I no, wanted... I think that's, I do agree with you. That was more important. I did want to get the vaccines eventually. And I wanted to and make I think sure those are important, legal practical, stuff. legal. Yeah I, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Just shut up, take the ticket yeah. and give them a call. Yeah. Uh, so here's an interesting tidbit because we do have some listeners that are active U.S. military. And a few that are access actually active use. They're not, it's not Corps. mandatory in the Marines? It's not mandatory. Wow. They were given the option to opt out. But didn't they have to do a whole bunch of, aren't they the guinea get, pigs of the vaccines? This. So just for, just for context, it's the first vaccine <gasps> in his entire no career with way. the military that he's been, that has been optional. No way. Oh my God. See, they know, they know it's, it's a disaster. It's the first one that's ever been optional. They know it's a disaster. That's, you know, I and didn't want to get. Consp- he's like, he's going to send a screenshot of all the different shit they've stuck into him <laughs> over the years. Cause every time they deploy you somewhere, they jack you full of something. And they, and cause th- we were talking about it because they're actually like us property. When you're enlisted, you can't say no to the shot. That's it. 
Yeah, yeah. Maybe, oh, yeah. Maybe no, you I've can, heard. No, no, I've heard they, but they, they're the they drive you more often. Jail. Yeah. They're like guinea pigs. They like, do the do the experiment on the the people in in the navy. So there you have it. Crazy. It seems crazy to me that the U.S. military is not mandating it, which to me would hopefully set some sort of precedent. But we'll see. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, they can't clamp all the stories going on social media back where people are having their family members killed by the vaccine or they're paralyzed. Have you seen some of those uh, videos coming out? You know, my mom's been, no. my mom's like shaking. She's getting worse and they can't help these people. They don't know what to do. They what? had a doctor in the hospital for two weeks, a doctor. Wait, what's going on? Your in his fifties. No, no, no. Like somebody's. Oh. Saying like on the thing, no, my mom is like, this is like what they're saying. And a doctor was in the hospital for two weeks. They can't figure out the problems with these things. They don't have any repercussions on injured people that can't function properly. They don't know what to do with them. It's unbelievable. I think this See, is one of the most no important way it's 89%. fights. Like, I don't know anybody that's in favor of the lockdown. Really. Oh, yeah. There's, there's some, but it's oh, not dude, There nine is out a of, whole category. Nine out of, of ten? Yeah. Uh, no. 50-50. You think it's even 50-50? Yes, dude. There's a whole bunch know. of people that do not want to work. They want to stay at home and just suck off the teat of our nanny state. Oh, so you think that's an incentive? Fuck Yeah. That's why they didn't put billions into the old folks' homes. But that they just can't be get people. Of, that can't be nine out of no, ten. No, it's five out of ten. Five out of ten yeah. people just want to live off the state. We are a. I'm not going to say it. I don't want to get political. But why not? We are a nanny state, and we don't. People don't want to work anymore, dude. Uh, Including me, I, I don't really <laughs> want to either. Like I. <laughs> <laughs> well, you work pretty hard. I, I'll I'll work hard. Yeah, at, 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 yeah, yeah. I know, but at, that's something I love. Working hard or hardly working. <laughs> so should we leave it at that? Should we say anything else? I mean, it's it's the. Sh- I don't know what is this. What show is this? And I guess it might. As well, it's short, so we might as well. It's make the Great it America Show. No, it's streaming on both. Oh, you got it streaming on both. That's a good idea. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Streaming on both. So I was thinking we could release it in uh, maybe Outlawed. We'll, yeah, we'll, put, we'll, we'll probably put in, this in Outlawed. We'll yeah. release it in Outlawed right away and release it in Grand America. As a, as bonus a bonus episode, yeah. yeah. So that'll be that. Uh, that's it. We're out of here. But we got to do the support thing and all that. Oh, yeah, support the show. GrandAmericaOutlawed.ca slash support. America.ca slash support. Do you want to rant about COVID a little bit more? Yeah. Okay. Oh, it don't matter to me. Buddy cancels. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, we don't have a show later? No. Oh, the power goes out. We're scrolling around just for that short episode. Not just for that. I mean, it was great having John on. But... Well, that'll give me time to maybe figure out what the yeah, fuck is exactly. going on Yeah, exactly. We'll the figure power. out what's happening with the power. And uh, we do have shows lined up. We're on a bunch of shows coming up as well. A bunch? We're on Fringe FM. We're on uh, Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Um Oh, Fringe FM, like yeah. There's another one too. I think coming up that all night, all night stuff. Yeah, and uh, so did you hear about the study that uh, my buddy Mike? He always sends me these studies. Eh? There's a study of my the pharma- athlete, your pharmacy with long COVID. No, 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 oh. no. I don't <laughs> never give you his name, dude. Oh. That's, that's not anonymous. Hopefully, it's not Mike then. <laughs> 
Um, what was I going to say here? I don't know. He's uh, He sent me a study, and this is interesting. In Bangladeshi, randomized control trial, provo- provodone, uh, provodone oh, iodine, don't do 1%, which is, I'm getting your attention. Don't do that. Uh, betadine, basically. Taken in ear, nose, drops, and mouth. Gargle reduces COVID-19 hospitalizations by 84% and mortality by 88%. He says, go to shoppers. Get it to shoppers. Your Invermectin will be in in a couple days. Invermectin will be in. That's one, two, what three. What are you going to do with it? There's so many. Isn't it like a, a paste? Oh, I need it like before Friday, actually. Well, I, I have no control over when it gets here. Oh, shit. It says it's at a facility in Canada. Oh, boy. My Mike's on Invermectin. He takes it. He's f- healthy. How do you take He's it? super healthy. Well, he bought the pills. Oh, here we have the actual like, animal product. Like an animal we're gonna product. Have to, like, we're gonna be like, I'm just gonna give it to the people I love, and like, if if the worst case scenario, just start eating it. <laughs> use, it use it for toothpaste. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Is that okay? just kidding? We're not giving any medical advice here at all. None. But we're gonna read some studies. Are we? In the feed. I don't like to. I don't. I'm not one for advice. All right. What else you got? That's it. That's it. Get some sun, get some vitamin D. Okay. I was in the health food store the other day, since this is coming out right away. I was looking for, uh, what was I looking for? Bone broth. I was looking for bone broth. I didn't want to drive all the way to the city. I got bone broth. So I was kind of driving through the sketchy part of town, but I got my eyes open for health food stores because I figured, you know, it might be. And I pull into this guy. There's an, an older fellow, like older East Indian fellow, I think. I'm like, hey, buddy. And I had my little, uh, I think I had a little, my clear, did I have a mask on? I don't think I had a mask on or my clear shield uh, over the mouth. And I'm asking for bone broth and stuff and he comes over and, and I was going to ask him for vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc to see how, like how it's going with him. And he's those, he says to me, he goes, so you got uh, lots of vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I go, I knew it. So I started chatting with him. I gave him the card, but I started chatting with him. He's like, this is a conspiracy. They should be giving vitamin D out for free to the people. I mean, this is what they did in the UK, right? There was they realized in the UK that a whole a huge percentage of the people that were dying in the old folks' homes were vitamin D deficient. I mean, no table. kidding. They're probably on a bunch of meds, right? Shitty food. So they started shipping vitamin D out for free to people. This is what we should be doing. This is what I was going to ask John in the episode. Why aren't we sending vitamin C, vitamin D, v- zinc? Well, how much how cheaper is that to that? people? Uh, no, about yeah. the willful blindness because they, there's studies out there that show how important this is. So you just wanted to ask hypotheticals. No, no. There's, he's talked about willful blindness oh. in his last podcast. That the 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 uh, medical the so medical the officers rhetorical. No, it's a it's a legal term. They're using <laughs> willful blindness in this propagation of the lockdowns. If you have cures or remedies, at least that take a huge burden off that. You should be looking at it. They don't look at it. Yeah. The vitamin D studies, the, the vitamin C with the zinc. And that doesn't even include HCQ and Invermectin. I mean. You'll have to let me know how the Invermectin tastes. I need to start. I'm not taste. I'm not going to do it unless I get it. If I, if I, if I have signs, then I'll probably do it. I'm not going to use it as a prophylactic. Yeah, but well, maybe I should. We'll, should we'll see what it looks. Yeah, I'll test it see out. See if you start like throwing a tail or yeah, something. I'll test it out. All right, guys. We love you. Support <laughs> us. Please sign up for the newsletter. Uh, Grammarica.ca slash news. Anything else? 
Well, this is like, is this the, this is I don't the, know. I just, it's, yeah. it's new. I'm still getting yeah. my feet. Yeah. Send an emails, graham at grahamerica.com, right? Same yeah. chats. Jump in the chats. America.ca slash chats. Oh, we got the new socials. Oh, we got the N. Oh, yeah. The I got Mastodon. it. You got it. Yeah. There's a pro. I remember having the same problem now years ago when I got America.ca slash socials to get into the private social network we got hosted on our own servers so they can't shut us off. Darren's and, on the Twitter still. Yeah. I'm on Instagram. I got the, um, we started running a bunch of beta testing on the server chats now too. So that'll be, we're, we're I'd say by like April. Diet tonic water. How about, how about regular tonic water? That's what I usually have. Regular tonic water. By April or May will be the platform proof. Yeah. They could still kick yeah. us off all those mainstream yeah. places where people find us, though. So tell people about this shit, too, because that's the other thing. We're probably shadow banned everywhere. Anyway. Yeah, that's the only way we can. I mean, we, could, we don't have a marketing budget or a plan or anything like that. So just got to get out there, tell your friends about it, especially now during this time. I mean, holy shit, how many people? We got to push back against this shit. We're doing our it's best. Crazy. We're doing our best. America.ca slash support. Tell your friends, spread the news, tell three people. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Five pink flamingos and a few flamenco dancers. They're in the kitchen and they're baking day of the dead cookies. And I step into the kitchen and I'm like, let me have a looky. See what kind of cookie you're cooking up. And they're looking up at me skeptical. And I point next to my spectacles And I'm wearing a maroon Harvard t-shirt Yeah, I know I'm a smart cookie, but I'm no psychic You can come and ring my bell But where we're gonna end up in the future, I can never tell I can never tell Five of my best friends And a few of my enemies We're at the coffee shop And we're settling our differences Benjamin Otto Pulls out a game of Chinese checkers And he orders a cappuccino And I pick blue and he picks red And you pick yellow and I'm wearing a tie-dye peace sign t-shirt Yeah, I know I'm a peacenik, but I ain't no hypocrite You can come and ring my bell But where we're gonna end up in the future, I can never tell I can never tell One bell sense of smell I can smell the salt in your tears and I can sense your fears you're hoping for a bit of divinity in this worldly vicinity and you understand the fragility of the human vessel and you sit Indian style like a pretzel and you levitate to a transcendental state when you meditate and you levitate to a transcendental state when you meditate. And you levitate to a transcendental state when you meditate.